This is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is December 22nd, 2022. And we are doing one of the last shows of the year, rounding it out with first a review of our bold predictions, and then getting into our 2023 bold predictions. Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the enchanting Simon Belanger. How you doing, buddy? How you feeling? What, what's your general feel on your predictions for next year? I think they're pretty good. I try to always go pretty bold. So I don't know. I feel it's stuff that I personally think is unlikely to happen but we'll see i mean i think they'll be fun to review especially this year i kind of forgot a few that i made so we had to go back and re-listen to them like oh yeah i did say that so it's gonna be interesting out of 10 how spicy are your hot takes on your boldness here yeah i mean i think i would be uh probably seven eight out of ten i mean i think they're there's a chance that they will happen, will they for sure? Definitely below like 25% if I had to guess, yeah. Yeah, I have a pretty... Well, I mean, one of them is very unlikely, one of them seems fairly likely, so we'll see. Let's start off with going one by one on our six bold predictions for this year and see if we have any winners. My first one was all brokerages in Canada will go to $0 commissions. I'm going to chalk this up as wrong, but probably just early for that one. My second one is ARC Genomic ETF. ARC G ETF will blow up in 2022. It didn't blow up, but it's down 75% from the peak. And I honestly have no idea how on earth they run that fund. And then third, I had Amazon will be the best performing FANG mega tech of 2022. That was just flat out wrong. <laughs> it would have been the worst one if it wasn't for our friend Mark Zuckerberg running one of the most historically bad years for a huge company that was Meta. So that one was just flat out wrong. But, you know, there's reasons to think that... that <laughs> Maybe I'm just early on this one as well. Yeah, no, no, it's very true. And I just wanted to go back to the ARC one. So they only have the genomic. Uh, that's the one, right? ARCG? ARCG, yeah, yeah. That's right. So they only have 2.2 billion worth of net asset value right now. So it's not a whole lot. I don't know exactly what they had. The price is 29.70 and it peaked around $100, I guess, you know three and a half times that so they must have had close to what eight nine billion of assets under the fund yeah i don't know what the actual fund flows were i know that the arc innovation etf actually had positive fund flows this year which blows my mind and kind of proves to you they keep pumping the marketing engine yeah we'll see i mean this one if you look at the holdings we're talking about like micro caps at yeah, this point yeah. that are in the fund. I'm not sure how they're even doing it. There's some wizardry happening. No, no, that's true. And look, I mean, I think it might also be, obviously, there. she gets quite a few appearances on CNBC and 
I think it might also be people seeing the big drawdowns and trying to buy the dip, right? Because it's worked pretty yeah. well since April of 2020, pretty much March, April of 2020, when we had the, the big correction because of the pandemic started. So I think a lot of probably newer investors had seen the prices go significantly down and just assume, look, I'll buy the dip now and it'll probably just go up. Yeah, like this worked last time. Yeah. What could go wrong? Well, it could, can, <laughs> they probably learn it can always go lower. So. It can definitely go lower. All right, what were your three last year? Yeah, so my three last year, first one was a whiff. So CPP will invest $2.5 in Bitcoin as institutional investment in Bitcoin accelerates in 2022. So obviously, they did not invest that. Although teachers did invest in FTX. I don't know if that was uh, <laughs> yeah. this year or last year. I can't remember when they actually did that funding round. So there's actually that. But I think it was last year. Was it? Or sorry. I th- 2022. Was I it this year? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know exactly. It was probably it was 2021 or 2022. I'll look that up while you're talking. Yeah. So but at the same time, there's still I I think definitely some investment that's happening this year. We saw some large asset managers that are actually pouring quite a bit of resources in offering some crypto options to their institutional investors. So I don't think the take up will probably be good this year, probably not next year as well, but we're seeing them lay the groundwork. And a lot of those investments were actually made after the fall of Celsius and all those more centralized exchanges before the whole FTX thing. On October 2021, Ontario Teachers Pension Fund invested $75 million in FTX International and its U.S. entity, FTX U.S. In January of 2022, we made a follow-on investment of U.S. $20 million in FTX U.S. So a combined $95 mil in Jan 2022, so this year, and in the fall of 21. And this is right from the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan website. They probably got wooed by Kevin O'Leary and his $15 million endorsement deal, who still says that <laughs> it's not a fraud because he probably doesn't want to repay the $15 million. <laughs> That guy is out to lunch with this whole thing. He's, he's Oh, giving, man, he's just destroying his reputation. Like, just take the hit. I'm going to yeah. buy him a ladder to oh, get him out of the yeah. hole he keeps shoveling in himself <laughs> into. Just admit you made a mistake and that the guy, you know. That's not his style. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I just I think he's actually destroying his reputation right now because admit you make a mistake like a bunch of other institutional investors and move on instead of trying to say that yeah, it was just mismanagement. It was actually because of Binance that it went defunct. It was not fraud. That's because he doesn't want to return the money. There is a good precedence on that where fraud was done and money was given to other parties where the parties actually have to give it back. So I think he's kind of hedging because of that. That's right. Now, my second one here, Toast will acquire Lightspeed Commerce. That one was, I mean, the more specific you get with these kind of things, the harder it is for them to actually happen, right? So yeah, you're saying that this company is going to get bought and buy this specific company. Like a lot of things yeah. have to go right for your prediction to be right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, both companies have still have been quite down. So since last year, since we did that, Lightspeed is down by quite a bit. I'm just looking it up here roughly. So it's down 
Do you have I'm the numbers? Beat you to it. Yeah. Year to date, 66%. Oh my God. And it was down like around, probably around the same percentage when I made the bold prediction. And it's 90% from the peak yeah. of September yeah. 21. Mm-hmm. And it's now it's quite a small business if you look at it from even just a market cap perspective. So it's definitely, I mean, I think it could be an attractive purchase for a larger company at this point because it's only has a market cap of 2.8 billion Canadian. So even if you double, (laughs) you actually like make an offer that's double the value of this, it's still a relatively small acquisition for a potential larger player who just wants to integrate that as part of their offerings. Yeah, like the fact that Dax stepped down from the role, I bet you someone could gobble it up for like 3 billion USD. Because maybe the management team's just like, all right, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. No, it just could be, just a yeah. random observation. Who yeah, knows? I think he still owns quite a bit of the company. But again, at some point, I know he's not a majority shareholder. I think last year was around ten percent. If the offer is so good, I mean, you're gonna get pressure from shareholders, right, to actually accept it. Yeah. Okay, and the last one, the one that actually came true, and I did this over the weekend, but I don't think the markets have changed all that much. I'm pretty sure it's still accurate here. So the S&P TSX will outperform the S&P 500 by more than 10% with oil and gas leading the way. And I actually said that if you go back to the episode, I actually said that the S&P 500 would underperform because big tech would I'm performing as well. So I think I nailed that one pretty well because if you're looking so far this year, the TSX is down around 9% and the S&P 500 is down around like 19, 20%. So TSX, obviously, it's not great when you are still down, but considering if you compare that to our neighbors down south, the S&P TSX did very well and it is pretty much what I said too because if you look at the S&P 500 index I like the side sector SPDR the best performing sector for the S&P 500 energy up more than 50% and tech and I'll say comms communication services because they tend to get you know have some companies that you could probably make a case that would be tech that end up in there as well those are two of the worst performing sectors this year and if you look specifically at the XEG ETF so that's the iShares S&P TSX cap energy ETF index it is a 40% year to date. So clearly energy has done very well this year. Big reason why the TSX has performed that well. Well, ding, ding, ding. We got a winner. We needed one. We yeah. needed to chalk <laughs> up just one into the win column. And it's we can always lean on you to get that done. I was just looking at that iShares capped energy index ETF. Yeah, It's so funny, right? Like the victory laps done by commodity investors this year are hilarious. Do you know the meme where there's the guy celebrating? It shows the first slide of him celebrating with champagne and then it zooms out and he's in last place. Yeah, yeah. You know, do you know that meme? Yeah, I know. It's perfect for this ETF because you have just gotten smoked for like more than a decade. You've made absolutely not a penny, even including total return with dividends. You've lost lots of money. 
But, you know, 2022 was your year to shine. So it's like, you know, take your victory lap while you can. Yeah, like that's a good point. And I'm just going to say too, you know, people who didn't listen to us and had the strong Canadian bias for their investments probably ended up doing relatively well compared to the overall markets this year. Because obviously, you know. Yeah, on the time frame. Yeah. The arbitrary time frame. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because like, I guess the human brain likes to look at things from, uh, you know, know a year kind of thing yeah. you can always pick and choose whatever time frame you want to to kind of suit your argument but it was a good year to fulfill my bias yeah. i'm gonna take whatever yeah. time frame i need <laughs> sports is actually notorious right when you watch sports and then they'll like throw at you this random stat in the last 16 games this player yeah, yeah. has 15 points like okay what about the last 25 games how does that look he still has 15 points but (laughs) (laughs) that's called the espn stat it's like the most hand selected stat possible all right let's get into but um boom the 2023 bold predictions we'll do three each as always some of them spicier than others some of them you know I, i could see happening i'll start us off here number one is my prediction is an AI bubble forms on the TSX venture specifically. I think an AI bubble forming is like not even that hot of a take. I think that's consensus going to happen mostly in private like venture capital markets. But on the TSX venture specifically being the breeding ground for tons of frauds, pump and dumps, and our friends at FaceDrive will probably make an appearance and reemerge, reemerge as a AI infused company. So every year there's one hot sector that gets pumped meaninglessly pumped, completely detached from fundamentals. You know, at one point it was the weed companies. So many of those have gone to zero. The previous two years we had the EVs. So many of those have gone to zero. Last year was the Web3. So much of that has gone to zero, washing up along with the fraudsters that were involved. I predict that there will be an AI hype train in 2023 that forms a bubble pretty much everywhere you look in private startup valuation funding rounds, in small cap stocks, and the TSX venture being where all the bad actors like to hang out. There's already a wasteland of AI companies on the TSX venture that are highly speculative, use lots of fancy buzzwords, and have largely proven not much in terms of fundamentals behind them. So... Look out for this. I actually have quite high conviction that this bull prediction may pan out. Whether it happens like I'm saying on the TSX venture, I think that's the spicy part. We'll see. Yeah. And I mean, what's the deal with the TSX venture? Seriously. like, What is the, yeah, what like, is the deal? That's a great question. Yeah, I know it's for smaller cap companies. Like that's obvious. But how are there some of the companies allowed to stay listed on that in like on that exchange i don't get it because tmx is publicly traded and they they have incentives to make money yeah i guess so but i mean yeah i know like you know we've talked a lot recently about more regulation in the crypto space but this like this has been going on for years it's kind of crazy how it just keeps happening you talked about phase drive but the amount of you know venture companies that reach out to us to like basically get us to pump their stocks like it's like clockwork 
They're always listed yeah. on the TSX venture. I don't know. It just really pisses me off because a lot of beginning investors will probably gravitate around the venture because they have low per share price so they can get like you know 2000 shares because it's trading for pennies i don't know i feel like that needs to be cleaned up quite a bit if there is a junior mining exploration company listed on the tsx venture and you are reading a puff piece about it on the internet i can guarantee you that that post or that content you're seeing on the internet is paid promotion from the company like with 99.99% certainty that that is paid promotion so be careful out there we get hit up to do this shit all the time and we would never rug pull you guys like that so just be careful out there the TSX venture is a breeding ground for this stuff yeah no exactly and i guess the the i guess the silver lining there if you're more astute investor and you're looking at the venture you can find some really good deals of really good companies that are smaller, but you really have to do a lot of due diligence there because for each good company, there's probably like 10 that are borderline frauds or have no viability whatsoever. Yeah, well, I own Topicus, which is yeah. a TSX yeah. venture. Yeah, I think they just want to save money. That's why <laughs> They want to save money and they don't want people to know about the stock. <laughs> exactly. So my first bold prediction here, I'll probably, you know, homeowners just mute this for the next couple minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah homeowners press the skip button yeah. on your phone but i am a homeowner so the average home sale price in canada will fall another 20 percent. so i'll give out a little bit of context here so of course it turned out that real estate does not always go up like maybe your favorite realtor has told you volume of sales is down 38 percent since peaking in early 2022 of course that's seasonally adjusted because because there's months like December where traditionally sales are much lower compared to a month like, you know, March, April. After peaking to over $816,000 in February, the average home sale in November is down 29%. So that's the price. This is not seasonally adjusted. It's just the average. So keep in mind that Whenever you have an average, it can skew either on the downside or upside, depending if there were more luxury homes, for example, that were sold in one of the samples versus the other. That's just something to keep in mind. But I think it's still pretty telling the amount of the correction that we've seen in the housing market. Even if you think 29% is too high, I think we can probably agree that prices are probably down around 20% overall in Canada. Of course, there's some isolated market where it might be a bit more flat. But I think personally, it's going to get worse in 2023 because... I know it's anecdotal, but if you see more and more people having trouble making ends meet with variable mortgages, you can just look on Reddit. You can see a whole lot of stories there. The common thread is, I'm making it work for now, but if rates keep increasing, I don't know how long we can make it work because on top of having higher mortgages payment, you have to keep in mind the overall cost of living is also higher so it's kind of a double whammy for people where you know their mortgage cost is increasing and everything else as well so i've also noticed that there tends to be two common outcomes right now at least in ottawa because we are just looking slowly because in the next year or two we're probably going to be looking for something a bit bigger and 
I just want to stay on top of prices and just have a good sense of where they're trending. And what I've noticed in Ottawa, which was a very hot market up until, you know, the beginning of 2022, the homes will stay on the market for a while. And then it either gets delisted or the price is reduced and oftentimes more than once. These tend to be most of the outcomes because some you'll see selling, but for the vast majority, they sit on there for several weeks, oftentimes months. So that leads me to believe that some are hoping to ride it right now, are having trouble making their mortgage payment, but are figuring that they can hold off until the spring, which is typically where a lot of the volume happens. But if rates stay this high, I think they'll be in for a very rough surprise because the reality is with higher rates, people can just not be approved for as high in terms of mortgages. I like that you pulled up the Reddit <laughs> forum on personal yeah. finance Canada. It is a scary place over there. Yeah. Like you got to feel for these people. I mean, <laughs> you know, they were talking like people taking on debt got rug pulled. So it's a sad. I wouldn't be surprised if this comes true. I, I mean, I think that it's going to be a real. We've seen kind of already how this affects our economy on the move we've seen with with asset prices and rates in real estate and, and just general borrowing rates. Another 20% would be quite the hit. And I don't think it's outside of realm, the realm of outcomes. Yeah, I think this is probably my, the most probable ones of my bold predictions. And again, I apologize for homeowners. I'm one as well. But I think all the stars are lining up with what's happening right now to see another sharp decline in 2023. All right, let's move on to a blockbuster acquisition, no pun intended, in the video streaming game for my second bold prediction. So... Earlier, we had Warner Media and Discovery merge together, joined forces at the hip. This put HBO Max and Discovery Plus into one, and HBO continues to be a very valuable brand and bring great content to the table time and time again. So they're also set to bring in a combined platform, and so this is, could be a real powerhouse. Uh, I think that's supposed to roll out early next year. Now, so what I did is we got this dope feature on stratosphere.io now where you can pull up a bunch of KPIs from these large caps. And we have all this data. We pulled in just streaming subscribers. So we pulled in Netflix's paid subscribers, Disney Plus's or Disney's Disney Plus subscribers, Paramount's global streaming subs, and Warner Discovery's global HBO Max and Discovery Plus subscribers together. So it gives you a context of scale. So you can see this graph, Netflix obviously in the lead and then Disney kind of coming up and making a splash, overtaking some of that. But still a lot of scale with Viacom, Paramount and, and Warner Bros. But... I think something still has got to give. We've already seen consolidation with, with that big blockbuster merger happening. There's still, in my mind, too much competition. Because if you include all the other services not included in here, Apple's in the game. Amazon's in the game. There's like other services like Hulu that's bundled into one of these. I forget which one. Is it Paramount? I forget. Something No, has, it's uh, Disney. It's Disney? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, it's part of Hulu. Sorry, it's part of Disney+. Yeah, Plus. Yeah. True. Okay. Something 
still feels like it's got to give in in my opinion like these guys are all just fighting each other out there's just a lot of price pressure a lot of like pressure to spend a lot of money on content and i'm just not sure where it all fits into the picture sustainably the reason for that is if you look at the model before a lot of these could survive even if they weren't amazing businesses as on the cable package but like how many people are really going to have six subscriptions to content like it's just it's just completely unrealistic to assume that and especially in tougher times there's going to be more and more churn i mean and look at the numbers look at the graph just completely fall off in terms of growth rates and so my bold prediction is that disney netflix or one of the big players in in big tech buys Paramount or the newly merged global HBO Discovery Plus. Now, this would be an absolute field day in antitrust from regulators. So that's why I'm saying that the likelihood of this happening, given that there was just some consolidation, big blockbuster consolidation, the likelihood of this happening, I put it like 0.1%. But we ain't bringing in some spicy takes at like a, a one Scoville. We need an 11 out of 10 here on spicy takes. That's my bold prediction for 22 is that we see a gigantic move in consolidation in the streaming game. Yeah, no, that's a pretty interesting one. I think 2023, that aside, it'll be really interesting just to see how it ends up working for Netflix and their ad-supported version. Because I think the early, early verdict is it's not yielding the results expected for advertisers that i read something about that i mean it's still early on but that's what i i saw about their new because uh, i think it launched in the u.s a month or two ago yeah it's brand new i haven't heard a single whisper of it i almost forgot about it until you brought it yeah. up <laughs> so i mean it's yeah it's gonna be very interesting especially if you see potentially disney following suit with that kind of model as well or you know it's just i don't know i feel like it's very interesting because netflix has said for a long time reed Hastings that they would never do ads i think or as early as this year they were yeah. saying they would never do ad supporting models and then they i don't know what happened maybe had a dream and just figured that was the <laughs> way to get more profitable but it'll be interesting I think they reported their second quarter and they saw the market reaction yeah. and they're like we gotta do something yeah that's it so no that's a really good one very bold my next one i think is quite bold as well so large financial services company buys coinbase so i typically do one crypto related so this is the one here but it's kind of it's crypto, but it's still related to the it's a publicly traded, publicly company, traded so. company. So I think it, it's pretty interesting here. So it could be, it could be one of the exchanges. It could also be something like a Schwab. But I think Coinbase could be a very attractive takeover in exchanges. There could be CME. I think Intercontinentals, another one in terms of the larger exchanges. Whether it's Nasdaq, a bit smaller. But if they really want to lay that groundwork, I mean Coinbase is has a market cap of around 10 billion right now. So, of course, Coinbase has just been pulled down in what's been happening in the crypto world. Obviously, we've talked about all the centralized platforms in our year in review, so I won't go again on this. You can just go back to that episode. But if you're 
you know, a financial services company and you think crypto is here to stay. And Goldman Sachs has been pretty vocal about that. They're actually looking at quite a few deals right now because they're finding the valuations very attractive to get in the crypto space. I don't know if they'd be allowed to operate an exchange. Like I'm not 100% sure how that would work. But you know, when the sentiment is this bearish, and you're these companies, I'm pretty sure some of them are looking at making some acquisition, potentially a Coinbase very closely right now. And keep in mind that despite my bold prediction not coming true, like I said earlier, there's been plenty of investment in the space by large asset managers like a BlackRock Fidelity. I know Bank of New York Mellon as well as made some large investment when it came to custodial services. So I think we could see some big splash in that space in 2023. Maybe it'd be a good tack on for like ice yeah, as an yeah. idea. This is spicy. Yeah, that's we'll intercontinental, see. right? Ice? Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Ice intercontinental. And they're much so larger than operator to the NYSE. Yeah, and for those who are not aware, you can look at the the large exchanges up. NASDAQ, I think, is the smaller one. ICE is the largest. CME's kind of in between. And ten billion is not that much for them. <laughs> it's they're much larger than that. Yeah. No, it would be huge, but yeah. it, it's not out of the question. No, exactly. In terms of how much like ice is it has a market cap of 57 billion for people to wrap their heads around it yeah all right let's talk about my is this my third one yeah my third one and it is that QQQ which is the Nasdaq ETF outperforms SPY which is the S&P 500 ETF by more than 5% and the reason that 5% feels high enough for the segment here is the holdings at the top are so similar and they're ridiculous in terms of concentration. Plus, I need one to potentially be right to pad the stats, you know? I'm surprised (laughs) you didn't choose the vegan ETF instead. (laughs) Yeah, damn, I should have picked the vegan ETF to win because it's basically QQQ, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of of similarities, let's just say that, yeah. Yeah, you know what? Switch it out. Like if you look at the holdings, like QQQ, I'll just start calling it the Nasdaq, has Apple and Microsoft 24% of the holdings. If you combine it with Amazon, it's like 30%, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. Now, the reason that I think that there is opportunity here is high quality tech has gone mostly too cheap. Like mostly. It got too frothy, but overcorrected too hard and the quality and the types of wide moat, high margin technology companies that print cash that we interact with on a daily basis and have built the infrastructure of our digital lives. And I'm not talking about like highly speculative, high SBC, non-gap profit tech companies. I'm talking about the, the ones that make more money than you could ever possibly imagine. There are tons of holdings at like 1% weighting I like quite a lot in the NASDAQ from this point forward that would only make up like a fraction of a percent in the S&P 500. So I think that that's enough of a difference to move the needle. Like you just look at what's worked this year and it's like basically everything that hasn't worked in the past 10 years and leading the way is like comms and tech and information tech. So There is a lot of opportunity in that space where high growth, still profitable, wonderful wide moat tech businesses 
are trading at like really, really reasonable forward multiples, like very reasonable multiples compared to similar type multiples for more commodity, no pricing power, worst margin industrial names that are in the S&P 500 that have like no growth. And I look at as much more expensive in the way I, I invest and operate. So I, I think that the Qs can outperform by at least 5% in 2023. Yeah, I like it. Not as bold as your first one, but definitely I like it nonetheless. Dude, I got to pad the stats. Yeah. I, I need I need one. I went 0 for 3. <laughs> I, mean, okay. I think I'm like 0 for 9 since we started this podcast. I've had what? I'm batting maybe 25%. Like It's not like I'm batting that high either. It's That's hard. pretty good yeah, though. it's pretty good. Actually, you know what? Chalk me up in the wind column for Freshy getting acquired. That's right. That was two bold predictions ago and Freshy just got acquired like what? Three days ago? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, if just to add for people who don't, fully know how much big tech and I'll just take Microsoft as an example here, how much free cash flow they generate. So 2021, they generated 56 billion, 2022, 65 billion. If you're looking at trailing 12 months, they've generated 63 billion. That's free cash flow. So even if the business experiences a bit of a slowdown short term, they're still going to be generating gobs of cash, probably returning a decent amount of that to shareholders through dividends and share buybacks and, you know, reinvesting in the business as well. So I think uh, Microsoft's a great example right here. Dude, TTM free cash flow on Apple is <laughs> 110, something like that. 111 and yeah, a half yeah. billion. <laughs> I was pretty close. I didn't even have it up. Yeah, I, you I, were right on the money. Yeah. I thought it was like 100 ish, but it's, yeah, it's more. So, I mean, you know, cash is still, you know, it's still pretty cash good. Is king, baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly, for those companies. So, my next one, I think, is probably, I would say, my boldest here. So, EXO, the marijuana company that's actually headquartered in Gatineau, so on the Quebec side of Ottawa, and DraftKings will no longer be publicly listed in 2023 or by the end of 2023. So, as interest rate continue to rise, credit tightens, there's a bunch of companies that will just not be sustainable and will file for bankruptcy and i talked about that i don't know exactly the sequence probably in the past episode for zombie companies so i talked a bit about that and that's why in 2023 it will be so important to invest in companies that have sustainable business models and actually make money in our year in review i think you you mentioned that where people or investors now are actually looking at companies from a making money standpoint not just sales going up and losing a bunch of cash. Now, my bull prediction here will be pretty specific. So I'll say both have to happen. So I won't go partial here. So EXO will file for bankruptcy and will be delisted while DraftKings will be bought by larger players or taken private. So EXO, just a little bit of primer here. It's just a disaster. Let's just be honest here of all. I mean, it's just, I don't even know. Rip the Band-Aid off. Oh my God. I don't even know why they're still like operating and they just keep losing cash. Sales declined 30% in their latest quarter. They recently did another reverse stock split this time 14 to 1 oh my gosh how many <laughs> didn't they just do a 20 to 1 yeah something like that at the beginning i think 
of 2022. Essentially, for those who are wondering why they're doing this, it's because in terms of staying listed on the NASDAQ, I don't recall the exact requirements, but I think their share has to be above a dollar. I think that's the requirement. And it gone. It's an actual share price requirement. I think it's a dollar. Yeah, I think so. And they had gone down to like pennies, basically. So that's why they're doing that. They're probably just trying to buy themselves a little bit more time. But at this point, I think they're just... I don't think it's going to make any difference. I mean, they're just going to go bankrupt in 2023. And the company was once worth more than a billion dollar in market cap. And now it's only worth, well, 77 million when I did these notes. It's probably gone down since in the, in a couple of days. I know it's been, yeah, 67 million. So it's gone down 10 <laughs> <laughs> it's oh gone boy. down yeah 10 million in the span of a couple of days since i did these notes and they only had 78 million in cash as of october 31st and burned 28 million during that quarter in free cash flows so honestly i just don't think they'll be able to get financing so why would you actually pay to buy this company you may as well just grab the assets in bankruptcy if you you know you're interested in the business and their share price is so low like there's no one who would actually subscribe to buy shares if they did a secondary offering maybe some drug dealers will get together buy all the distressed assets and sell the weed yeah it could be the arbitrage opportunity of our lifetime yeah maybe maybe <laughs> and DraftKings. so DraftKings is we've talked about them before i was pretty harsh on them and i will still be here so as of september 30th Cash and cash equivalents were down 35% since the beginning of 2021 to $1.38 Actually, I miswrote uh, that. It was beginning of 2022, so it's gone down quite a bit in less than a year. Revenues more than doubled, but losses remain extremely high. They had a loss of $455 million in their latest quarter compared to $546 last year. So little improvement here. For the first nine months of the year, their losses increased 7% to $1.28 billion. For the first nine months of the year, they burnt just shy of $500 million in free cash flow. Now, I don't think they will file for bankruptcy because they still have, I think, enough cash to survive another year or two. But what's clear, and they've talked about that before, at some point... They're going to have to reduce those marketing expenses and incentive that they give to players to come on their platform because those are really money losing proposition. They essentially end up giving like really good odds where you can almost not lose. When you do that, obviously, if you're essentially it's an online casino, let's be honest, when you do that, I mean you're clearly not coming out ahead. And there's just a lot of competition in the space. There's some much larger player that owns some really good properties and multiple properties. And I've talked about them before as well, if Flutter Entertainment, for example, that owns, I believe, if I remember currently, FanDuel's. I think they, they own them. Do they own FanDuel? I'm pretty sure they do. Should have checked, but... I'm, I'm checking yeah. right now. I think Flutter, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. it is Flutter. So Flutter also owns PokerStars, for those who are not aware. So it's a very large company. So I think that's what's going to happen in this space is there was a lot of hype. It's being starting to be legal in the States, in Canada, where it was typically done more offshore before. Now it's actually done on a legal basis in those countries. So I think there was a big rush thinking that there'd be a lot of money to be made and i think there is money to be made but there's just not anything 
proprietary almost for any of them. I think players will kind of go where there's the best deal being offered unless a platform is really comprehensive like a Flutter and you have access to a whole slew of different other things. So that's why I think DraftKings will either be bought out by a, a company or just taken private altogether. It looks like Fox also owns almost 20% in FanDuel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, look, it was a SPAC, right? <laughs> like everything SPAC got destroyed, <laughs> and DraftKings was no different here. Yeah. But the the numbers just don't make sense, right? Like, I mean, their revenues have increased nicely, but. Once you stop those incentive, like what happens to revenues? That's that's a big point, right? So yeah, you reduce your costs, but by reducing your costs, you also smash your revenues. The sports gambling market is such a land grab, burn cash strategy, right? It's, it's heavy marketing expenses. And what you talked about is like the to really drive engagement and get people to spend their first couple dollars and literally to try to get them hooked on it is give them some ridiculous odds. As you mentioned, like FanDuel or DraftKings, what they'll be like is like Patrick Mahomes to get more than 0.5 passing yards this game. It's like he's going to get that in the first 30 seconds of their first offensive drive of the game. Like, obviously, that's going to happen unless he literally got sick and doesn't play the game like five minutes before. And so people just hop on those because, I mean, why not? It's literally free money. Yeah. And and you have players like that's a thing with Flutter, right? It has a long track record in that space. So it has the the know-how. It probably knows what works, what doesn't, way better than a DraftKings or some of the other players in the space. So that's why I just think you're going to see probably one or two players just emerge and a whole lot of consolidation in this space because it's just not going to be profitable. I'm not a much of a gambler. I, I just don't. I'm not too into it. But me and my buddies used to play on DraftKings just against each other, not against everyone, but we'd use the platform and then just e-transfer each other after. On the Thursday night football games, we used to always put in, we're such peasants, we put in like five bucks, like 10 bucks, and the winner would get the pot based on who had the best fantasy team in, in that NFL game, and we used DraftKings. Since the legalization of sports betting in Ontario, since they don't have a registered sports book, DraftKings doesn't in Ontario, we just couldn't play our Thursday night games anymore. Like we we have no option. So that just kind of ended. It used to be so fun. You know, you'd throw in five bucks every like three weeks, you'd probably win. And yeah, that was that was disappointing. So like another example where they're just at the will of regulators as well. Well, yeah, and I'll just give you another example too, same vein. So I talked before that I like to play poker. I haven't played online in over a year now because one of the things that happened with legalization is now when you're from Ontario and you play, you play only against a pool of player from Ontario. So you went from having right. thousands yeah. of people playing these huge the tournaments. Million, the the yeah. million maker tournaments, yeah. those are gone. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because now you're just playing against a super small pool of players before it was basically the whole world except the U.S., 
So you can imagine that it was a quite large pool. So that's one of the things that kind of annoyed me with the legalization. But, you know. Because each company then had to have a registered sports book locally, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's an investment they might not want to make. Yeah, because before of that, I think PokerStars must have been, I think they were registered. It changed a few times for a while. They were in Gibraltar, I think. And then it came back to Canada, I think, on some native reserves because the regulations was kind of murky there. So it kind of has been all over the place, but I think it was a pretty reputable brand. So anyways, that's a, a little rant on that. But I think so for that one to come true for me, I'll just finish on that. EXO has to go bankrupt and DraftKings has to be delisted, whether they're acquired by another public company or just taken private. I like it. That is the show. That is the bold predictions for next year. I'm feeling pretty good about some of them. Some of them I just know uh, probably won't happen, but that's okay. That's the whole point of the show. I hope everyone had a great couple days to just enjoy with the fam, take it easy, or, you know, like I said on the last show, maybe maybe you're grinding it out. I, I, I see you. I see you. I appreciate you. And we'll see you much more in the rest of 2023. If you're new here, this show comes out on Mondays and Thursdays like clockwork. We also have a real estate show called the Canadian Real Estate Investor hosted by our friends Dan and Nick. They do a wonderful job. They started it in July and they're coming out twice a week as well. That's on Tuesdays and Fridays. So you got four episodes from the lads if you really want them. That is the Canadian investor and the Canadian real estate investor. We will see. Oh, I have something. When you said like clockwork, unless Braden is in charge of uploading the episode, then it may come up early. (laughs) Clockwork may not be the correct term to describe if I'm in charge of uploading the episode. It might just come out, you know, Saturday morning. Who knows? It's really (laughs) just up. It's really just a, a flip a coin at this point. No, that's why. That's why I got fired from that job. Hard. Well, I never had the job. No, no, it's more uh, when I'm unable to do it, then you step up and do it. Yeah. I step up and do it wrong. That's the (laughs) nicest thing you said is that I step up and do it because I step up and do it wrong. Thank you so much for listening. As I said before, Mondays and Thursdays, if you could leave the show a review, we really appreciate it. And if you want to check out the best place for financial data, I was hinting at how I was pulling all the stats for those streaming companies. That's on what's called the KPI dashboard of stratosphere.io. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.